Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Exodus. The Old Testament book of Exodus and Exodus in chapter number 25. Exodus in chapter number 25. As we're continuing with our series of the life and ministry of Moses, we could see that God has brought the children of Israel under Moses' leadership to Mount Sinai. And there God had spoken to the people the Ten Commandments. After that, the people had asked Moses, go speak to God yourself. And Moses went up and gave some instructions. When we last left off, Moses had come back down and had given them the word of God. God's words and the people agreed to it then Moses under God's authority wrote down these words read it to the people again and then they agreed to it now God has called Moses back to the mountain and for the next 40 days and 40 nights God is not giving Moses the law he's giving Moses the plans for the tabernacle so a lot of times people have this misunderstanding That God was spent 40 days and 40 nights to give them Moses the Ten Commandments. Nope. He spent 40 days and 40 nights giving Moses the plans for the tabernacle. And over the next couple chapters, starting in verse number or chapter number 25, God is going to move forward to give these detailed plans of the tabernacle, and all of them are specific. In fact, someone said this, that the tabernacle was the only perfect building that ever existed because it came directly from God. Even the trim, the nuts and the bolts, how many of them were all detailed by God to Moses in the next several chapters. Now, because we don't want to hit each of the chapters individually and hit all the nuts and the bolts and and the 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 carvings and all of this other stuff. We're going to summarize it into one little meeting today, going through a PowerPoint, talking about the tabernacle, and we need to have a working understanding. Remember, there are more passages dedicated to the tabernacle than any other subject in the entire Word of God. And so we must place the emphasis where God places the emphasis. If God has spent so much of the Bible discussing or talking about referring to the tabernacle, then we as Bible believers need at least have a working knowledge of the tabernacle ourselves, because this is what God has emphasized. So with this, if you wouldn't mind, to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to Exodus chapter number 25. Exodus in chapter 25, and notice with me starting at verse 1. Exodus 25 and in verse 1, the Bible says this, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly. With his heart ye shall take my offering. And this is the offering which ye shall take of them, gold and silver and brass and blue and purple, and scarlet, and fine linen, and goat's hair, and ram skin dyed red, and badger skin, and shittim wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for sweet incense, onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod, and in the breastplate, and let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle, and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark the name of this message found in Exodus chapter 25? Exodus chapter 25 and verse number 9, we could see the the name the tabernacle and we could see that God is pulling Moses aside 
for the next several chapters to give Moses the plans of the tabernacle. And so if you don't mind, we will be preaching tonight on the tabernacle. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And we do thank you for the day that you've given us. Lord, I'm asking that you would just give us an awakefulness, an alertfulness. I'm asking that you would give us a curiosity that this would be something that would be an interest. And Lord, we know that your word is never boring. There are boring preachers, but your word is never boring. I'm praying that I would not be one of those boring preachers in a subject so important and dear to you as the tabernacle. So because I dare not trust myself the best I know how, I ask that, you surrender, that I surrender myself to you. That you guide and direct me. That you use me as an instrument. So you could get your work accomplished. And that way we could have an understanding of the pictures that you place within your tabernacle to point to your dear son Jesus. Thank you again that we could trust you and that you would give us grace through this. And in Jesus name we pray. Amen. As we go through here, we come to the tabernacle. Now, as we start off with just an introduction, we know that God had commanded Moses to build a tabernacle. Now, we just saw this in the text that we just read, where God is giving Moses the instructions. This is what I want you to build. And then he continues to go on to give him the instructions. Now, a tabernacle was a movable tent of meeting. So this was something that was not to be a permanent dwelling, but it, or um a permanent structure, but it was going to be a transportable structure, something that they were going to use during their wilderness wanderings. In fact, they're going to use this tabernacle all the way up until David's day. So for about 400 years, they're going to use this tabernacle. Now, God wanted to dwell among his people. And we see this in the passage here. And uh, Exodus 25 and verse 8. It says, let them make me a sanctuary. Why? That I may dwell upon them. In Exodus 25, the same chapter in verse 22. It says, and there I, this is God speaking, will meet with thee and I will commune with thee from the mercy seat between the two cherubs, which is in the ark of the testimony of the things which I give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. And over and over he'll make this statement that the purpose of the tabernacle was to have a place where God can be among his people. God wanted to be there among his people. This is God's desire to have a personal, intimate relationship. Not a relationship where he's a God that's a distance and a far off. He wants to be close to his people. Now, with this, we could see that there are different parts of the tabernacle. We're going to cover all of these parts in detail, but this is kind of the overview of what the tabernacle looked like in the inside and then the courtyard. Now, the tabernacle and the courtyard were constructed according to a pattern set by God. God is the one who gave the instructions. So Moses didn't dream this up. He didn't get the best architects and put this together. God's the one who gave them the floor plans and they were the perfect plans. Now we study the tabernacle to understand God's pattern of worship. Meaning that God in here is going to tell the Hebrew people how to worship him. And we can see how God wants to be worshipped and the pictures that he sets up. The tabernacle shows how the common people can have fellowship with a holy God. God created man in the first place for fellowship. Now because of sin, there was, it separated God and man. But God's desire was to always have fellowship. So the tabernacle is going to picture, it's going to teach the people how to have that fellowship with God. And it's going to be because something had to die in order to pay the price of our sin that separated us from a holy righteous God. The tabernacle was placed in the center of the Israelite camp. Later on, I'm going to go through a whole series uh, forgot how many years from now, 2027, 2028 or something like that. I'm going to go through a whole series of the tabernacle. And it is amazing how God set up the tabernacle and put the things around the tabernacle. 
But would the Holy Spirit of God, which was the pillar of smoke and the pillar of fire, when it would stop, wherever it stopped, they built the tabernacle right there where the pillar of smoke was. And then they set up the camp around the tabernacle. So the tabernacle was always in the center of the camp. And again, this was because God wanted to dwell in the midst of the people. Not on the fringes and not just with certain people. But he wanted to be there in the midst. Now, the 12 tribes of Israel were encamped about it. And um, if you don't want to wait till I do this series... It is beautiful how God set this up with the, ta- with the children of Israel and how they were set up aside. Do you know that when Balaam looked down upon the mountain to curse the people, you know how, what he saw? He saw a cross. The way that the people were struct- uh, structured out and how they were put around the camp. Now the cross wasn't a big symbol back then, but it wasn't kind of, isn't it like God who knows the end from the beginning? To put that as a great picture. Amen. Now it was Israel's spiritual center for the next 500 years. Until Solomon's temple. 50 chapters in the Bible discuss the tabernacle. Again as I said before. There are more passages dedicated to the tabernacle. Than any other subject in the Bible. 50 chapters are dedicated to the tabernacle. Which is quite a bit. The tabernacle was built using valuable materials such as gold and silver, bronze, precious woods, and rare cloth. Just like we read in the passage here that the people gave them willingly and these were the materials that were used. The gold by itself in the tabernacle totaled over one metric ton. So in modern terms, the cost of the gold would exceed one million dollars. So this was not a cheap structure. It wasn't a shanty. It was a beautifully constructed, wealthy um, <coughs> construction. Now, the offerings from the Israelites paid for all the materials, so they didn't borrow from the bank. It was given by a free will offering of God's people to supply and to build this tabernacle, and it was debt free. The tabernacle, as we saw here in this passage, was a shadow of things in heaven, meaning that. The things that are made in the tabernacle were to be pictures of the things coming up ahead, including the Lord Jesus Christ. The tabernacle foreshadowed the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, meaning that Jesus Christ paid our price on Calvary. This was a foreshadow to teach the people about for the wages of sin is death. That death was required. Something had to die in order to pay for my sin. The real tabernacle. God's dwelling place is in heaven. Where Jesus himself is our high priest. And we're looking forward. That's what makes heaven worth going there. Is because God is there. Because Jesus is there. And we get to dwell with him forever. Now as we start, let's hit some of the specific parts of the tabernacle. First of all, we start with the gate, the entryway into the tabernacle. (coughs) The entrance of the court was made with uh, hanging curtains, which was made of blue and scarlet uh, and purple. They had four pillars of brass that would hold the gate together. It had sockets of bronze and hooks and fillets of silver at the tops of the pillar. As we go through the measurements, most of the measurements I went ahead and just uh, skipped because I didn't want to bog you down because none of you are going to take a measuring tape and try to figure it out and whatnot. Just more numbers and when you start mixing numbers with letters, it starts making people kind of blow them away. So I'm not going to hit a lot of measurements, but I want to tell you that it's perfectly instructed. If you like numbers, just even going through the measurements of it is amazing that God built this perfect structure. Now the gate is separate, uh, separated the people from the magnificent and holy God. So you had to go through through the gate to approach God. Now God can only be approached with repentance and sacrifice. When the people came inside the gate. So when they first came to the gate. The very first thing they had to do was offer a sacrifice. That's how you approached a holy God. Remember the tabernacle is going to be a pattern. To show us how to worship God. In order for us to worship God. We just don't approach him however we want. The only way we can approach him is because of the shed blood 
of Jesus Christ. There is no other way to approach a holy God. Now Jesus referred to himself as the gate. He talked about this in John chapter 10. Anyone who enters through Jesus will receive eternal life. He is the door. He is the way in. Jesus takes a lot of time to explain this to the Hebrew people. Who would understand this reference in John chapter 10? Now let's go to the court fence. Now around the tabernacle, there was a linen fence that would surround the entire thing to put a border to keep it protected. Now the court fence was the outer border of the tabernacle site. It consisted of the linen curtains, which were probably white. They had pillars, sockets, and hooks, and fillets. God actually had spoken about how to put them up, where to space them, how to connect them together. God was very detailed in all of this. And they were also held together with pins of brass. And this beautifully constructed fence that would be all the way around. Now, when you first step into the tab uh, tabernacle area, you would be inside of the courtyard. Now, the first piece of furniture you would come into the courtyard would be the bronze altar, which would be right in the middle. The bronze altar was made out of shittim wood. The altar was square and it was covered with bronze. And it had four corners of the altar that had horns that were curved outward that were also overlaid with bronze. It would look something like this. A bronze grate with a bronze ring in each corner was put under the bronze altar. They had hollow staves which were made out of shittim wood and covered with bronze that were used to carry the altar. So whenever, remember this is a, a, a mobile dwelling place, it's not a permanent structure. So they would have these uh, rods that they could place in there that they could pick up and carry this bronze altar to the next camping site whenever they did move. Now several types of offering were made on the bronze altar, which we'll cover later when we do a survey of Leviticus, but they would include things that were uh, the types of offerings made on that bronze altar, which would be the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering. We'll talk more about these in detail in the survey of Leviticus coming up soon. Now, the sacrifice was necessary for forgiveness. And the sacrifice we're talking about is Jesus Christ. In order for us to have forgiveness of sins, something must die. And this first piece of furniture was a shadow, a foreshadow of this event, that my sins required death. And that Jesus was the one to pay for that price. A proper sacrifice was an animal that was valuable and perfect, not flawed. They would actually open up the animal to make sure there was nothing wrong in the inside. So the animal had to be perfect outside and inside. You couldn't offer something that was broken, something that was flawed. Because again, this is a picture of Jesus. Jesus was our perfect sacrifice. Now, sin was a serious thing. Only shed blood, which stands for life, could pay for sin. There was no other way. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, the Bible says. Now, a person, when they would make this sacrifice, they would lay their hand on the sacrifice as a picture that this animal was taking my place. It would remind the people as they would make the sacrifice. Every Hebrew person was required to make it every year. It was to be a reminder this animal had to die for us. Now most of us, especially in the modern world, we don't like to see animals die. That's why you don't want to meet your animal before you send him to the butcher. I mean, you have a relationship. And then to hear the animal die, that's a horrible thing. And then to have the blood spilt. And then to smell the cooked animal as they put them on there. there. It would show there's a seriousness. It's not just the idea, all right, here, here's some random animal. All right, take care of it. See you later. But no, the person there was there to observe the process of it. To see the animal have its throat slit. To see the blood spilt. To, to have some pity on that animal was to be a reminder of how awful my sins are. That that animal's dying because I'm a sinner. 
There was a seriousness to it. It wasn't a light-hearted thing. It was a very serious, somber thing when an animal was sacrificed. Now, we know that Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. The blood of animals uh, was not something that washed the people clean. It wasn't a permanent thing. It was a picture. It was to remind them of the sacrifices to come. The Bible says Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice, and his death makes believers clean forever. And I'm so thankful for that. The book of Hebrews spends a lot of time talking about that, that it was done forever. His was enough. Even when John the Baptist saw Jesus approaching, John would look up and said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. He's saying that's the Lamb who is going to die because of our sins. It's that Lamb. Jesus was pictured as one of these sacrificial animals. Now the next piece of furniture we would come to after the brazen altar would be the brazen laver. This would be found before you enter in the tabernacle proper. It was still in the courtyard, but it was after the brazen laver. The bronze laver and the bronze stand were made from mirrors of the women who served at the entrance of the tent of meeting. The exact size of the bronze laver is not described in scripture. So we have to use our best guess for how it looked and how it was designed. The bronze laver was located between the bronze altar and the tabernacle. The bronze laver was used for ceremonial washing. So when the priests were ordained, they would wash their own selves. But most of the time when it was used, it was after the priest would work with the brazen laver, or the altar, then before they can go into the, do their duties in the tabernacle proper, they first had to wash themselves. Now, their, um, their sins were covered because of the sacrifice that was made. However, we all need to be clean before going to God. That's why we have 1 John 1, 9 in the Bible. That if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That even though you ask Jesus Christ to save you from your sins, doesn't mean you stop sinning. But it doesn't make us where we deserve to go to hell anymore. God has paid that price. However, before we can have fellowship with God, we still need to be clean and right. And so this is what this brazen laver represented. It was a picture that before I can approach God, I still need to be clean once again. I need to be as right with God as possible. And he can wash my sins away by getting right with him. Now, washing hands and feet stood for the sanctification or becoming holy. Serving God requires not just cleansing from sin, but desiring holiness. This desire for us to be right with God. That's how we approach God. The Bible tells uh, the believers to cleanse their hearts from guilt before approaching God. Meaning that the way that we approach a holy God is for us to be as right as possible and we can by confessing our sins and having him wash us clean now followers of jesus have accepted his sacrificial death on their behalf so jesus died for us however believers must be cleansed from their sin and continue to strive for holiness again a holy god requires holy people to approach him not any person a holy people Jesus said, or God said, be holy as I am holy. God wants us to purify our hearts so that way we could resist evil and be near God. Remember, God cannot be close to sin. So sin must be dealt with in our life. Now, Jesus loved us so much that he died. So all believers are made holy and blameless before God. We are thankful for that. Now, again, here's some of the measurements of the tabernacle proper. The rest was in the courtyard, but let's step into the tabernacle itself and see what's made in here. Now, again, the materials of the tabernacle, it talked about the specific number of boards and things that need to be placed within the tabernacles. But the tabernacle itself was also covered, and so they would have the outside, but then they had several layers of coverings. 
Again, if you haven't seen the model of the tabernacle, forgive me, I didn't bring it tonight, but we'll try to have it available by this weekend here. So you could see for yourself that it actually had several layers of coverings. The first covering was made from goat's hair with linen beneath. The second covering was made out of ram skin that was dyed red. And the top cover was made of badger, porpoise, or sea cow skin, some type of exotic type skin that was made overwards. Now, when you first step into the tabernacle, the first thing that you would run into would be the golden lampstand, which would be on the left as you entered in. It'd be the very first thing you saw because of the light that it made. The lampstand was made out of one talent of pure hammered gold, which was made out of one solid piece. It had a central shaft with six branches, three on each side, making it a seven-branch lampstand. Each branch had knobs and flowers and an almond-shaped bowl to hold pure olive oil. Again, God gave the specifics of how to make this detailed within the scriptures. Now, the priest's duty was to trim the wicks and to keep the lamps lit. This was very important. They were supposed to keep the fire going. The lampstand was designed to provide light for the tabernacle. So they didn't have electricity back in those days. So you had to have some light source. This was the light source. The lampstand was the first item seen upon entering the tabernacle as a reminder to his people that God is light. Now we know for us, the word of God is the light of the believers. It guides them through life and protects them from evil and darkness. The Bible also says that Jesus is God's word in human form. Jesus refers to himself as the light of the world. I am the light of the world, he says. And those that follow him will never walk in darkness. He is our light. The light of Christ lives inside of the believers. Believers are light to the world. We're supposed to be a witness to a dark world. The followers of Jesus are called to be lights in dark places. In witnessing to others through words and actions, the light of Christ is projected from the believers. Now the next piece of furniture we come to would be on the other side of the tabernacle, the table of showbread. The table of showbread was made from shittim wood overlaid with gold. The table had a crown of gold around its edge, so you would have the flat table, and then you would have a crown, something that would raise up almost like this, that would surround the table. A ring of gold was put on each of the four legs for the carrying poles. The carrying poles were made of shedding wood overlaid with gold. Again, it was made so that way you could actually carry this furniture. On the table of showbread, the priest placed 12 loaves of bread, six loaves into two stacks made from fine flour. These were to be, uh, wine was also placed on the altar with the bread. These loaves represented the 12 tribes of Israel. So one for each one of those tribes. The table with the loaves was a continual reminder of the everlasting covenant between God and the children of Israel. Fresh bread was placed there every Sabbath as a memorial of God's provision of food. Remember that God had provided the manna every day to feed the people. And this was a reminder that God did promise to take care of his people and that he would supply for him. The bread, after they were used and had done their service inside the tabernacle, would be put aside and they would be eaten by the priest. Now, Jesus is the bread of life, and his death and resurrection provide us with this everlasting life. Jesus said that anyone who believes in him will never hunger or thirst for spiritual nourishment ever again. I'm thankful that Jesus supplies, and he takes care of that for us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he told his disciples that they are to remember him and his sacrifice every time they eat the bread and drink from the cup. Again, Jesus has portrayed himself as the bread that his body was broken for us, that he had provided for us the spiritual nourishment that we needed. Then we come to the table of showbread. As we continue to talk about the table of showbread, Jesus said that his body is the bread from heaven that provides all believers with eternal life, just like the manna was. Now, the next piece of furniture that we'd find inside of the tabernacle would be the altar of incense, which would be put on the very back of the first section of the tabernacle. 
The altar of incense was made out of shit and wood and stood in front of the veil, concealing the most holy place. It had four corners, which had a horn made from one piece. Its top and sides and horns were overlaid with gold, with a crown or molding around the top. The altar of incense also had rings on its side for carrying poles, so that the Israelites could carry it. The high priest burned incense upon it every morning and evening. The fire for the incense came from the bronze altar from the outer court. So they would take the fire that would come from the bronze altar, bring it inside, and then they would use it to burn the incense on the table or the altar of incense. The Lord required a special sweet incense, which was a mixture of spices, by the way, which God told them how to make used only for the tabernacle to be burned on the altar of incense. The priest was in danger of death if any other incense was burned. And God did kill people for not offering the correct thing. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, the horns of the altar were sprinkled with the blood of the sin offering. The incense rising with smoke is a picture of our prayers rising to heaven. It was that picture of the prayers going to heaven. Now, Jesus went away frequently to pray. He was always praying. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. And believers in Jesus are told to pray constantly. It's the one thing that we're told to do to pray, always pray. (laughs) Then we come to the next piece, which would be the veil. The veil would be the partition that would block off the tabernacle from the holy to the holy of holies. The veil was woven of blue and purple and scarlet thread along with embroidered designs of a cherub. So it would have a picture of the cherubs on the veil. The veil was hung on four pillars of Achaia wood overlaid with gold. The veil was hung from four golden hooks that were put on four sockets of silver. Again, very detailed, but um, God was very detailed in how to put it together. There was no separation in the middle of the veil. To enter the high priest went around the side of of the veil. Now, by the way, this veil was pretty thick. It was a hand's breadth thick, meaning that from one side of your hand to the other, that's how thick the veil was. It was not a nice uh, thin curtain that you would hang up. It would be like a fire curtain. It would be a huge thing. And it was a divider between the holy place and the most holy place. It was a barrier between God and man. That man could not approach God. There was this barrier that would keep us from going to where God was at. Now, once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter into the most holy place through this veil. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn from top to bottom. Now, remember, this is a hand's breadth thick. This wasn't like tearing a t-shirt. It was a big, thick fire curtain that was ripped in half when Jesus died. And it showed that we now have access to God because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, we're thankful that we could approach God. Now, because of Jesus, sin no longer separates us from God. Jesus took care of that. The Bible says that Jesus' body is the curtain of the veil, which we approach God. He is the door. Because of Jesus, the sacrifice he made, all people can enter into the most holy place. Every person can approach God for themselves. Oh, I'm so thankful that we don't have to go through a person. We don't have to go through a priest. We don't have to go through any man. We could go to God for ourselves. Then we come into the most holy place. This was a very special place. It was called the Holy of Holies. The Ark of the Covenant resided there in the holy place. And the glory of God rested upon the lid of the Ark, which was called the Mercy Seat. The high priest entered the most holy place once a year on the Day of Atonement to sprinkle the blood on the Mercy Seat to atone for his sins and for the people's sins. Now, inside here would be the Ark of the Covenant. It would be positioned right at the very end of the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies. It was made of Achaia wood and overlaid with gold inside and out with a gold crown or molding set around the top of the edge. Four golden rings, one on each leg, were placed for the carrying poles, and the poles were made out of Achaia wood overlaid with gold. Then on top of the ark was the mercy seat. The mercy seat... (coughs) 
uh, we'll cover in just a second. But inside of the Ark of the Covenant, God had put different things inside. He had them put the Ten Commandments, which shows that God protects His rules. A, a jar of manna, which shows that God provides. And then Aaron's rod, which showed God's power to bring life from something that was dead. And these things were placed inside of the Ark of the Covenant to be a testimony of what God can do. Here's a, some examples, uh, pictures of what would be placed inside. Now Jesus fulfilled the law and protects all believers with his blood. Jesus provided us with the bread of life, which is eternal salvation. So we have the law, we have the bread of life, and then Jesus demonstrated his power over death by rising up from the dead. So even the contents inside of the Ark of the Covenant was a picture of who Jesus Christ was. Then over on top of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. The mercy seat was made out of pure gold. It had a winged cherub on each side facing each other with the wings outstretched above them towards each other. The mercy seat was beaten or hammered from one solid piece of gold. So basically it had one big gold block that they chiseled and carved this entire lid from. It was then placed on top of the Ark. Now, annually, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would sprinkle blood of the mercy seat to atone for the sins of all the people. God offered mercy so sinful people could approach him to the amazement of the angels. In the book of he, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, it says that the angels are still going, wow! Only God could have allowed sinful people that said, God, I hate you, leave me alone, and still save them and turn them around and allow those people to worship him. Only God could have done that, and it still makes the angels go, wow. To think about that, even a meeting like this, the angels are watching and going, wow, only God could have done this. Only God could have done this. The mercy of God is made evident through the blood of Jesus, which saves all believers from their sins. Our efforts to be good people are not enough to approach God. Only Jesus and his blood was the way to approach God. Because of the blood of Jesus, the Bible promises God's mercy and grace when we approach him. Now, there was something else that was with the tabernacle, and it was with the cloud and pillar of fire. The Lord manifested his presence with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It would rest upon the tabernacle directly above the mercy seat. When the cloud or, or pillar moved, the children of Israel followed it. So when the cloud decided it was going to move, and God decided to move, the people would pack up the tabernacle. And they had a certain way of doing it and a certain way of carrying it. And uh, for example, the... Um, uh, Kohathites, they actually had to hand carry each piece of furniture. They couldn't put it on wagons. They couldn't pack it up. They had to hand carry it themselves. For the rest of the tabernacle, the outside coverings, there was a certain way that they had to pack it and put it on the wagons. But then they would follow God's presence wherever it went. And whenever it stopped, they would build the tabernacle right then and there, starting with the Ark of the Covenant, they would build it and build the rest of the tabernacle from where God's presence was at and place it together. Could you imagine that? That the Ark of the, uh, that God's presence stopped somewhere and then you had to construct the tabernacle around it. Then the rest of the camp built itself wherever God was at. So what they did is they didn't expect God's presence to come to them. They followed God wherever he went. So whenever it stopped, they camped there until it moved again. Now during the Feast of the Tabernacles, which commemorated the days Israel spent in the wilderness following the cloud and pillar of fire, Jesus told the people that he was the light of the world and said that if they followed him, they would no longer live in darkness. Now with this, we also had another important piece of the tabernacle and that would be the high priest himself. In the high priest's life, it was dedicated to serving the Lord and represented the people before their God. The design of the priestly garment was an expression of God's righteousness and merciful love towards people. Even the garment of the high priest was designed by God, the pattern and everything, and it was a picture of something. For example, the tunic. The priest dressed first in a checkered tunic made out of fine linen. 
Then he had a robe over the tunic. The priest wore a blue robe with golden bells and pomegranates. Those bells would be important because only one person can go into the Holy of Holies and that's once a year. And if that high priest was not right with God, God could kill him. Well, if God killed the high priest, how are you going to get him out if no one could go in there? So, in his actual garments, he had little bells. So, as long as he was performing his duties, you could hear the bells. If the bells stopped ringing, you would know he was dead. They also had a rope tied around him and they would just pull him out. Because no one could go in and go get him. So, the bells were a practical thing, just in case he didn't, wasn't right with God when he was performing his duties. Then over the robe, the priest wore an ephod of gold, of blue, of purple, of crimson yarns, and of fine twisted linens. Then he wore a breastplate which contained the Urim and Thurim. The gold breastplate of judgment hung from chains of pure gold, twisted like cords. In the breastplate were the Urim and Thurim. Now, on this breastplate, he had stones. Each one of these stones represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And each one of these stones were made out of uh, precious, um, or each one of these stones was a precious gem, which you could read for yourself in the Bible as it details. But God said, this is what I want for this tribe. This is what I want for this tribe. And he detailed it. Then on the shoulder, he actually had two onyx stones that would hold it together. Now the names of the sons of Israel were engraved on the onyx stones, six on the left, six on the right, and it would contain all of the tribes of Israel's names upon it. Now on the top of his head, he wore what was called a miter or a turban. The high priest wore a miter on his head that was made out of fine linen. Now around the miter was a, a holy plate or a crow or a diadem, which was worn on the turban. Engraved on the plate reads, holy to the Lord. Now he carried with it the censer. On the day of atonement, the high priest fills a censer full of coals from the altar as well as the crushed incense and brings into it the most holy place and offers it before the Lord. <coughs> now we know that Jesus is our high priest. He was righteous and merciful and was willing to sacrifice his life for us now and he lives to intercede with us. Now, all of this that we're talking about is a working knowledge if you're going to understand the book of Hebrews. By the way, Hebrews is our next section. Now, the problem with going through the tabernacle is that it has so much nuts and bolts is that it's easy to start nodding off. In fact, whenever you start reading your Bible and say, I'm going to read my Bible year after year, and you get to the book of Genesis and say, all right, this is pretty good. You get to the very first part of Exodus and you go, all right, you get to the Ten Commandments and say, okay, I need to know this. Oh, but then you hit Exodus 25. And for the next several chapters, it is the nuts and bolts of the tabernacle. And you slug through it, maybe. And some people say, well, I did my best. I couldn't get through it. Maybe next year and set it aside. But yet God says this is important. But I understand that, that if you go through your Bible reading and you hit this and go, oh, and come to a screeching halt. I understand that it's very hard as a preacher to go through the nuts and bolts of it and still keep you alive. And so most of you have made it so far. Most of you have survived. Most of you say, I hope I never have to sit through this ever again. But yet God places an emphasis. And I understand there's a lot of detail. But the emphasis that I want to get to you is not how many, um, how many different poles there was on the gates. I don't want you to know how many sockets were required in order for it to put up the courtyard. I'm not asking about the dimensions and the size. But the thing I want you to know is that this is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he has done for you. So with that, turn with me to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, if you wouldn't mind. And the book of Hebrews, chapter number 4. The book of Hebrews and chapter number 4. Now, as we go through the tabernacle, you are going to see a lot of references to the tabernacle inside of the book of Hebrews. Also in the book of Hebrews, you're going to see over and over that Jesus is the great high priest. 
Now, what does it mean that Jesus is the great high priest? What does that do for us? Well, I want to show you in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews in chapter number 4. Hebrews in chapter number 4. And notice with me, if you don't mind, in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 4. And notice with me in verse number 14. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 14. It says, seeing then we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find the grace to help in time of need. Remember that Jesus Christ was the gate that allows us to enter into God's presence. That Jesus Christ was the sacrifice that was required so we can have fellowship restored with God. That Jesus Christ allows us to be clean even after we're saved, so we could be holy approaching this holy God, that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He is the bread of life. He is the one who is forever making intercession with us. He is the veil that has been ripped so that way we can go and talk to God and approach the holy of holies. And we can obtain grace and mercy. In our time of need. If there's one thing you get out of here. I want you to remember that Jesus Christ gave us access to God. That Jesus Christ because of what he did. We can talk to God whenever we want. The high priest can only go in once a year. But we can go to God anytime we want. We don't have to go through a ceremony. You don't need an organ to play. In order for you to get a hold of God. You don't have to have incense going up. So you can approach God. You don't have to have a special prayer. Or a special words. You don't even have to approach God with blood of animals. You could talk to God whenever you want. And anytime you need grace and mercy. And we can have fellowship with God. That's what God desires most. Why did God build the tabernacle? Because he desired to dwell among his people. What does God desire now? He wants to dwell among his people. That because of what Jesus Christ did, God can live inside of us by the Holy Spirit. He could dwell with us. He wants to spend time with us. He wants us to talk with him. That is what the picture of the tabernacle is. Is that we can approach God. That Jesus made the way. And we can talk to a living, holy, righteous God. Now that may sound good theologically. But have you been using it? Have you been talking to God for yourself? Have you been spending time? That is God's great desire is for you to spend time with him. Are you taking advantage of those opportunities? You don't have to go confess your sins to a priest. You don't have to go through a religious ceremony. You can go and talk to God. You don't even have to set an appointment. You could talk to him even now. Now, maybe perhaps there's someone in here that does not know for sure that Jesus Christ is their Savior. You don't know for sure that your sins are forgiven. Let me tell you, that's your first step because your sin has put a barrier between you and a holy, righteous God. Now, some people try to get saved because they don't want to go to hell. And that is a valid reason. But let me offer you a better reason. That you should have your sins forgiven because a God in heaven loves you. And he wants to spend time with you. Would you like to spend time with that holy God? You can, first of all, by having your sins forgiven. By going up to God and recognizing that you're a sinner. And because of your sin, you've offended a holy, righteous God. And that because of your sin, something had to die. 
But Jesus took your place. And the best you know how, you're asking God, you're giving God permission to pay that price through the shed blood of Jesus. But after that, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, what's holding you back from talking to God? You know, as a preacher, as I deal with people, when I ask them, can you pray? You know why people can't pray? Is because they have sin in their life that's keeping them from praying. There's a barrier. They know that there's something. There's something that's not right. Let me tell you, you can be right anytime you want. 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You don't have to let sin be a barrier between you and the Lord. You can talk to him. All that's between you is space and opportunity. And God desires to talk with you. I understand you may be one of those people that when people, you start to talk with them, their eyes glaze over and they sigh. You may be one of those people that if you talk on the phone that they set the phone down, walk away, come back and say, uh-huh, and you don't even know they're gone. But let me tell you, God wants to hear from you. And he's interested in everything you say. He's interested about your day. He wants to hear if you're having a good day. He wants to hear if you're having a bad day. He wants to hear if you're upset. He wants to hear if you're happy. He wants to fellowship with you. And even if you feel like no one on this earth cares about you, there's a God in heaven who's deeply interested in you and cares about every little thing that's going on in your life. And you could talk to him if you want it. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.